You're listening to a presentation of The Rising. We're a real church for real people where you can belong before you believe. We're always honored to hear how God is working in your life through this ministry. If you have a story you'd like to share with us, hit us up at wearetherising.com or on Facebook or Instagram. Finally, if you'd like to invest in what God's doing through this church, you can always give online through our site. Thanks again for tuning in and get ready. Lean forward with an expectant attitude to hear a message from God's Word. We're in the second week of our series, How Not to Be a Jerk Face. And uh, man, this is an important series, especially if you're a Christian, because um, you're like me. You're trying to live out the commands of Jesus. And, and Jesus said the greatest command is that we love God, and the second is that we love our neighbor as ourselves. He, he also told us to love our enemy. And so if you're a Christian, you're somebody who's trying to live out these words of Jesus, and you can't live out these words if you're a jerk face. And uh, if, if you're not a Christian and you're not sure about this whole Christianity thing, you're not sure if God is even real, chances are you agree with what Jesus taught in, in the book of Luke when he said, treat others the way you want to be treated. It, it's the golden rule. And so even if you're not a Christian, most likely you're trying to live that way, and so it's good for you to learn how not to be a jerk fit. <clears throat> how not to be a jerk face. But if you don't agree with any of those, and you're not trying to love your neighbor, you're not trying to love your enemy, and, and you don't want to treat others the way that they should be treated, then you are a jerk face, and so I'm glad you're here, and, and you need this just like I need this, because we're all in the same boat. But um, as I was preparing for today's sermon, I did some research, and I came across this article called uh, Jerks Reveal the Jerky Little Things They Do Just to Be Jerks. And I wanted to share some of these things with you, and these are masters of being jerks, and some of the things that they do uh, are quite subtle. And so I want to share with you some of the things that jerks do to be jerks. And as these people shared these things, uh, they didn't use their real names, they used screen names, usernames. And so uh, I just want you to keep that in mind. And so the first one is from Bojacks22. He said, at house parties, I help clean up afterwards. Now, now that seems like a really great thing, not a jerky thing to do at all. But secretly, I hide a TV remote in a very obscure place. Potted plants are my favorite. Jerk face. Uh, Funk Sama said, I print all my company's envelopes in Comic Sans. Jerky thing to do. By the way, we should outlaw this font. You should never use Comic Sans. I don't care if you're a teacher of elementary school kids. Never use Comic Sans. Hodor, 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 Hodor said, Working in a 13-story building, I would often press every button on my way out on the ground floor so some poor guy would get in on the second or third floor and have to stop at every floor on the way up. Last time I did this, I stepped out of the elevator and some guy rounded the corner in a hurry, saw the doors closing, and bolted to get into the elevator. I heard him yell, yes! Then I heard him say, oh, come on! <laughs> Jerk face. Alpaca meat said, I'm the guy who says cha-cha-cha when you sing happy birthday. <laughs> that is a jerky thing to do, and I am guilty of it as well. Uh, the stickle monster, here's what he said. When I'm leaving a busy store with a crowded parking lot, I'll oftentimes take my keys out of my pocket and swing them around as I head to a car that's parked in a prime location. As soon as the vultures begin to circle and queue up for that sweet, sweet king spot, I breeze right past the car and enjoy the look of frustration on their faces as I make my way to my actual parking spot much further away. That is a jerk face thing to do. Don't do it. Or do it and have fun. 
Uh, Matt7738 said on Throwback Thursday, I like to comment, wow, you used to be so pretty. <laughs> Obi doesn't Kenobi said, I honk at pooping dogs. There you go. And then the last one from Ill Cookie. In public, I silently fart and then say, do you smell popcorn? People around me take a deep sniff every time. There you have some of the jerkiest things that jerks do to be jerk face. And these are things that we are determining not to do because we don't want to be a jerk face. But not being a jerk face goes beyond just not doing jerky things. It also means that we do good things. If we're not going to be jerk faces, it means that we love our neighbor, that we love our enemy, and that we do to others what we want them to do to us. Because not only are we called not to be jerk faces, but we're called to love people. And today I want to give you one of the reasons why we shouldn't be jerk faces. Last week I gave you one of the foundational reasons as to why we shouldn't be jerk faces and how we can love other people. It's by realizing that each and every one of us are jerk faces. We're all jerk faces. We're all people who don't deserve love and grace and forgiveness, but God has freely given that to us. And because God has given us love, it's our role to give others love. And so that's one of the ways that we cannot be jerk faces. But, but today, I want to give you another foundational truth to help you practically not be a jerk face. And, and the point is my title. If you would take a moment to write this down. The title for my sermon is Living for Eternity. You want to know how not to be a jerk face, then the answer is live for eternity. Living for eternity. Watch this. Um, in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus tells this story that helps us understand what eternity really looks like. He, he, he says that heaven is going to be like this great banquet hall. And he talks about this at his last supper with, with his, his fellow disciples. Uh, and he says, one day, um, I'm, I'm going to join you in this great banquet of heaven. I won't eat from this bread or drink from this cup until I eat and drink with you at the great banquet of heaven. And so Jesus paints this picture that heaven is going to be like this great banquet hall. And when he talks about it, he's talking about life here and now, but he also talks about life there and then. And in this great banquet hall of heaven, we find out from John, one of Jesus' disciples, that um, there's going to be all sorts of people at this banquet. Uh, in, in Revelation chapter 7, John has this vision of what heaven is going to be like. And, and here's what he says, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. So when we think about heaven, when we have this understanding that one day we're going to be in heaven with God, John says there's going to be all kinds of people there. People from every tribe, nation, uh, tongue, and, 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 and background. They're all going to be there. And Jesus says it's going to be like this great banquet hall. And I don't know if you've ever been to a, a wedding or a fundraiser or a benefit, but there's, there's uh, like all these round tables at, at these functions, and these tables are made to seat eight people, but there's like 12 chairs crammed in, and so you're real close to people, and you have to talk to people. And John said there's going to be all kinds of people at this banquet. And this sounds awesome. I mean, I wonder what's on the menu. I'm sure it's not vegan. But at this banquet, there's all kinds of people. And so what that means is that in heaven, if you're going to heaven, if you're going to be in heaven, because you've trusted in Jesus, 
because you've said yes to Jesus, because you've accepted his sacrifice by believing in him, following him, and being baptized, because you're going to be in heaven, you're going to be at this great banquet hall with all these other people. And so what that means is that there's going to be black people there, and there's going to be white people there, and there's going to be people of every race in between. It means that, that at the great banquet hall of heaven, there's going to be all sorts of people, if they've accepted Jesus, there's going to be Republicans and Democrats. There's going to be independents there. There's going to be Americans, Mexicans, Russians, Iraqis, even people from West Virginia will be there. All sorts of people. It means that there's going to be natural-born citizens, refugees, illegal immigrants, in heaven, there's going to be teachers and pastors and doctors and construction workers and IRS workers and thieves and prostitutes and even politicians. If someone has accepted Jesus and been baptized into him and they have a relationship with him, John says there's all kinds of people at this great banquet hall of heaven and they're going to be there as well. It means that the kid that you picked on in high school may very well be there. The girl that you dated and dumped, your former stupid boss, those friends that you ghosted on, your ex-wife, the people that you gossiped about, all those people, those nameless, faceless people, that people group I can't stand, and all those, they may very well be there at this great banquet hall of heaven. And I just picture it set with round tables, and what if, what if, what if? There's a signed seating at the banquet hall of heaven. Knowing God, I imagine that there probably is a signed seating, and he's probably assigned all the people you don't like to be at your table. Because what if heaven is less about driving a Lamborghini on golden streets, and it's more about actually living out what the Bible says? I just, I just imagine knowing God and, and how he is and how he operates. He probably has set up heaven where he said, hey, in my word, I said, love your enemies. Look at all the people at your table. Have fun. In my word, I said, love your neighbor as yourself. Look at all the people at your table. That person you ghosted on, it's time to finally have that conversation now. Right? What if there's a signed seating at heaven? Would that be a good thing for you? And if you push back on that and you say no. I mean, it wouldn't be that way because in heaven, we're all going to be different. I mean, in heaven, if I'm not loving now, I'll be loving then because it's heaven. If I'm greedy now, I won't be greedy then. If I'm a racist now, I won't be racist then. Where do you get that from? Because the message of the Bible is one that how you live now matters. Jesus, when he taught us to pray in Matthew chapter 6, he said, and when you pray, say this, our Father in heaven Holy is your name. Then he says, may your kingdom come, your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Hey, Christian, who's following me? When you pray, pray that this world looks more like heaven. Okay, but, but now that you've prayed that, I want you to live it out. I want you to live the life of heaven here and now. And so what does the life of heaven look like? Well, in heaven there is no greed, so I can't be greedy now. They, they, they've talked about the, the stat that 20% of people who are part of churches across the country return the tithe back to God. 20% of Christians are actually doing what God says when it comes to their finances. It's a sign of greed. 
What would it look like if you're greedy, if you're in the presence of the one who is ultimate generosity? How would you feel? Each and every week we get to be in the presence of the one who's ultimate generosity. How we live now matters. If I hold grudges now, it, 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 it's like practice for heaven. Like, how, how's heaven? It's forgiveness. So I need to forgive now. How's heaven? It's, it's love. It's kindness. It's compassion. And so if that's how it's going to be in heaven, I need to practice that now. Because if I don't practice it now, when heaven comes crashing to earth, I will be in for a rude awakening. And so th this whole thing is not about I show up someplace, I sing some songs, I got my Jesus on. No, no, no. God, I'm in this journey to become more like you, and I need this. I need a reminder to live the life of heaven here and now so that I can practice for when it happens one day. I need this as a reminder so I can bring bits and pieces of heaven here to earth in the way that I live. See, what if heaven is more about living out what God says in his word? We'll be far more prepared if we begin to do it here and now. Jesus said heaven is like this great banquet hall. And I just imagine there's got to be a sign seating there. And, and th there's this other time where, where Jesus gives this teaching. It's found in, uh, in John chapter 14. He says this, my, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. Jesus says, okay, I've come to be crucified. I'm going to resurrect from the dead, and then I'm going to ascend to heaven. But don't worry, because I'm coming back for you. The hope of the Christian is that God's coming back is that this is not the end, but God is going to make all things right. And one of the things Jesus says is, in my Father's house, there's many rooms. And, and I'm there preparing a place for you and for you and for you. And I'm going to come back and I'm going to bring you to this room I've made in my Father's mansion. i got a room for you and for you and for you and for you and for that Christian that you don't like. And for that, the Christian who doesn't like you. And for the people that you have unsettled business with, unfinished business with, I got a room for them. And what if, what if, just knowing God, what if the person in the room next to you is that person you don't like? Oh, this sounds a lot less like heaven and more like hell now. By the way, if you're interested in any of this, I did a series years ago called The Flames of Heaven. And it's about living out the life of heaven here and now. But what if in eternity you're actually with those people you don't like? You don't get to pick what room you want. You don't get to pick what side of heaven we're going to live on. We're going to live over here and all those people I don't like are living over there. No, 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 no. John says there was all kinds of people. They're all intermingled, all mixed together. What if you get to heaven and you realize, oh, God was serious about loving my neighbor. God was serious about loving my enemy because they're here. <laughs> I guess I got to love them now. And this is what Paul tries to teach to the church in Corinth. See, 2,000 years ago, there was this guy named Paul, and he started a bunch of churches all over the Roman world. And uh, the Bible that we have is actually a collection of 66 different books and letters and wisdom 
And um, we have two of the letters that Paul wrote to this church in Corinth in our Bible. It's 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And uh, if you're ever interested in figuring out what a healthy church looks like, uh, you can see what it doesn't look like through the church of Corinth. This church was jacked up. Like, if you study the church of Corinth, it was messed up. It was dysfunctional. Like, if you walked into this church, you'd be like, honey, uh, we're not going back next week, right? This is how bad Corinth was. And Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and he tries to help them see their lives through the lens of eternity. He tries to remind them, guys, what you see is not all there is. Like, we're living for eternity, and here's, here's what Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He says, when one of you has a dispute with another believer, how dare you file a lawsuit and ask a secular court to decide the matter instead of taking it to other believers? Don't you realize that someday we believers will judge the world? He said, there's going to be a day where we stand and we judge the world, but we can't even get along ourselves. He says, since you're going to judge the world, can't you decide even these little things among yourselves? Don't you realize that we will judge angels? So you should surely be able to resolve ordinary disputes in this life. You know, people leave churches because they don't get along with somebody. I don't really like this, so I'm leaving. I'm going somewhere else. People leave relationships because they can't sort things out. People leave marriages because we promise to love one another for the rest of our lives, but we don't even like each other, and we can't figure that out. Honey, we should go to marriage counseling. You need to go to counseling. I'm going to sit right here and watch the game. No, 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 it doesn't work that way. Don't you understand? We're going to judge the world. That's what Paul said. Don't you understand? We're going to judge angels. He said, in light of that, when we live for eternity, the very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you've been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? I mean, Jesus teaches us to love our enemies, but Paul's like, you can't even love each other. One of, one of the biggest reasons why many people don't want to become Christians, won't come to church, is because they look at the body of Christ and they say, they can't even get along together. They can't even sort their own stuff out. Why do I want to be a part of that? Jesus said, love your enemies. Paul said, let's start with each other. <laughs> let's start there. You got problems, you got issues, you got differences. He says, why not rather be wronged? That's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is saying, you wronged me, and what you did, it's not okay. It's not, oh, there's no big deal, don't worry about it. No, I, I will choose not to hold this against you. I, I, you've wronged me, I will just be wronged, and I'll move on. He says, why, why not rather be wrong? Listen, we're, we're living for something greater. We're living for eternity. And Jesus said the same thing. Here's what Jesus taught in Matthew 5, 23. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go be reconciled to them, then come, offer your gift. It's like Jesus is saying, I don't even want your worship until you work it out. Like, listen, don't, don't come and sing a song to me if something's not right with your fellow brother or sister. Work it out with people and then come worship me. 
Now, this isn't a thing where you say, well, I can't come to church anymore because i got all these things wrong with people. No, keep coming. But, but Jesus is saying, listen, work it out before you worship. Because if things aren't right between each other, things can't be right with us. Because those people you don't like, they're my kids. I love them. I care about them. They're made in my image. You can't love me and hate my kids. So go work it out. Then come worship. I don't want to hear your song when you're holding a grudge. You come and you bring this offering. That's great. Listen, but I don't need your money. I want your heart to be right. Work it out. And then worship. And it's, it's because of this verse, if you're a Christian, you can't ghost on people. You can't. It is unchristian for you to ghost on people. You know what that is, don't you? When you ghost on somebody, it means that you don't return their phone calls, you don't return their emails, you don't return their text messages. Like, you just disappear off the face of the earth. You've had people have, uh, do this with you, friends, and you're like, I thought we were friends, but now they won't even call me back. You cannot do that if you're a Christian. It is unchristian to do that. This, this is what happens when people say, whatever happened to so-and-so? It's like, I don't know. I mean, we reached out to them eight different times and they never got back. We don't know. You cannot do that because Jesus said, if you're at the altar offering your worship to God and remember somebody has something against you, go make it right with them. Don't just disappear. Don't just ignore them. Just, don't just drop off the face of the earth. And if you have something wrong with somebody, go make it right with them. Now, sometimes they don't want to make it right with you, but you do your part to reach out to them. I, I saw this Facebook post that um, people have shared, uh, and it's so funny, like, when Facebook theology happens, because um, it's so unbiblical, it, it blows me away, but there's this post that's been shared by a bunch of, uh, like, like, thousands and thousands of people, like, by thousands, and it's like, it's like, just let people leave your life. Don't seek closure. Don't, don't chase after them. Don't ask why. Just move on. Let them be. But, but according to what Jesus said, he said, no, if you are at the altar and you remember somebody has something against you, go make it right with them. If you have something against somebody, go make it right with them. You, you can't ghost on people. And so we have to confront the issue. We have to talk about it. And so... If, if we're going to avoid being, because here's why, if you ghost on somebody, you're going to see them eventually one day, right? It may be at Walmart or Target. Have you ever had this happen? Like you see somebody and there's this unsettled business with you and them, and then you see them in Target and it's like, hey. And like in the back of your mind, you're like, whatever happened to, and they're like, hi, and they just walk on by. It's like, what? Or you see somebody and they're like pretending not to see you, and it's like, what is, we got to work this out. Because there's going to be a day when I take my seat at the banquet hall of heaven and I'm sitting at the table and I do not want there to be awkwardness between us. I do not want to be at heaven with you and it's like, hey, so let's talk about the thing that happened. No. If you're at the altar and you're offering your sacrifice and there, remember, somebody has something against you, go work it out. Who do you need to work things out with? Who have you avoided? Who have you ghosted on? Who have you dishonored in the way that you've treated them? Go work it out. Be wise in it. 
Let me take a moment real quick just to be wise in it. Don't, don't go to your ex-girlfriend who's now married for the past 12 years with kids and say, hey, you know, we have this problem. No, no, no. Be wise about it. But if you have an issue with somebody, work it out. That's how we avoid being a jerk face. So if we're going to work it out, we need to learn how to communicate. I want to give you some practical steps on communication and some ways to look at communication. Um, Today is just all practical. It's just all application. It's all things that you can can live out in your life. When when we talk about communication, there's a continuum of communication. Uh, There's there's personal communication, and it goes all the way to impersonal communication. And so if we're going to have personal communication, this is a face-to-face conversation. Because in, in personal communication, uh, I can hear your tone of voice. I can, I can see your body language. Uh, this happens when you FaceTime somebody. You can hear somebody's tone of voice in a phone call. Um, and then as we continue to go down to, to impersonal, a letter is really personal. I mean, how do you feel when you get this letter from somebody? And, um, and it's an encouraging one, right? I mean, you get excited when you get mail. So, 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 so there's some personal there. Text. And then a Facebook Messenger, and then email, and then social media posts. And so we've gone from personal to impersonal. And we need to choose the correct form of communication depending on what we're trying to communicate. So if we're trying to communicate something personal, we don't send a text about it. We don't sit in front of our computer and fire off that email to Janice in accounting. Right? Because it's a personal thing that we need to talk to them about. So when it's personal, we have a face-to-face conversation. We call them up. We FaceTime them. Now, if it's impersonal, hey, party's at 6 o'clock, that's fine. Text it. That's fine. Send an email. Send a voice memo. No problem. Because it's impersonal. I'm just communicating details. But I don't text somebody saying, I don't like you because you're such a jerk face. No, no, that's a phone call, right? And I'm guilty of this. You're guilty of this. We've sent text messages. We've sent emails. And then afterwards, we've thought, oh, no, I can't believe this. We've also engaged in these kind of conversations, haven't we? Somebody emails you something that's personal, and so you email back to them. I'll show you. And you're, like, hitting it that way. And you send it, and then they send it back, and it goes back and forth. Or worse yet is to have, like, the Facebook debate Somebody posts something and you're like, I don't agree because blah, blah, blah. And then you go back and forth and all these other people comment. And it's just, nobody's life has changed from a Facebook debate. It's impersonal. It doesn't matter. And the other thing is, you shouldn't text about something you should talk about. We text message things. Why? Because we're cowards oftentimes. I'm going to text you because I'm scared to actually pick up the phone and call you. This has happened before where somebody might text me something, email me something, and the first thing I do is I call them. Because what I do, and this is what we should do, is filter the content through this. Is what we're talking about impersonal, or is what we're talking about personal? If it's personal, then we need to communicate in a personal way. So if someone texts you something that's personal, you do not text back. You call them. This has happened several times. I'll call somebody, uh, and nine times out of ten, they don't answer the phone. Why? Not because they're busy. You aren't busy enough to send me that text message. You're not doing something right now. And if, if you are doing something where you can't answer the phone, then you should be paying attention to whatever you're doing. 
Anyway. But I'll call them. They won't answer. Then they'll text back. And then I'll say, hey, I'd love to talk to you about this. This is not a text message conversation. Let me know when you're free. Nine times out of ten, they never get back. And so I just say, if it's not that important to you to talk about it, we're not going to talk about it. Change the way you feel. What? Because it's personal, so we need to talk about it in a personal way. If it's impersonal, and this will save so many of your relationships, right? I'm refusing to text about something we need to talk about. I'm refusing to email about something we need to meet up about, right? This is how we avoid the miscommunication. This is how we clear up the, the conversations that need to be had, is we talk about them personal impersonal ways. Now, let me talk to you about social media, because social media is a great tool, but I don't know if you've ever felt like me, where you're going through Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is, and you find yourself just getting mad. Has this ever happened to you? Like you're scrolling through during election time, and you're like, are you freaking kidding me? Are my friends idiots? Really? You're going through and you're like, I cannot believe you believe this about this. What? I mean, is it just me? Okay, thank you. One other person, me and you. But there's times, and I've had to stop, and I've had to put healthy boundaries because I found myself just getting like, what? What in the world? I don't even get. And so, so, so now I've just said, okay, I'm going to use social media as a positive influence. I'm, I'm just, and, and you've seen your friends post stuff like this. I'm so tired of all the negativity on Facebook. It's because you're scrolling. That's your problem. When you scroll, it's like looking at the comments. You just don't do that. And so, but people, I'm tired of the negativity. It also means you're following the wrong people. And you're friends with the wrong people. So, uh, what I've determined to do is I'm just going to use it for positivity. And I'm not going to engage in Facebook debates. Because some people are keyboard warriors, right? It's fun to be bold behind a keyboard. But when you actually have to talk to somebody, oh, it changes everything. So just decide, I'm not going to get in those debates. Because I want to be a light to the world. And these debates, oh, it doesn't bring any light at all. Just decide, I'm not going to discuss politics online. Because here's what can happen. You can cut off a relationship with somebody based on politics, and God may have wanted you to use that relationship to have you tell them about Jesus, but you can't now because you got in this debate about whatever that, that may or may not matter. So you just say, I'm going to use social media for good. I'm going to influence people for good. And here's what we need to understand too. When we use social media, we cannot be passive aggressive on it. Because when somebody posts on social media, it's public. When I post on social media, I'm looking for an audience because it's public. If I have an issue with someone, I'm not going to blast them on social media. I'm going to have a conversation with them. Why? That's private. So I go to someone privately to try and have a conversation with them so that we can be changed. I don't go to the masses and talk about my disdain for someone. That's public, I'm looking for an audience, a mob who will agree with me and take my side. If we're gonna overcome being jerk faces, we need to confront the problem in love. And the way we do that 
is we talk about personal things personally and impersonal things can be done impersonally. And here's how you have a conversation with somebody. I want to show you right now. Here's how you have a conversation with somebody. So you have an issue with someone. They have an issue with you. Let's meet about it. Let's meet up. And so you meet up with them. And uh, you're hanging out at Starbucks or wherever it is. And um, before you have your talk, you set the stage for the conversation. Because again, we're living with eternity in mind, okay? We're gonna judge angels one day. We're gonna judge the world one day. We're gonna be sitting at the great banquet table of heaven together. We're gonna be in God's mansion and your room might be next to my room so we gotta sort this out. Here's how we're gonna talk about it. So we're there, hey, what's up? All right, we got this thing to talk about. We're not gonna brush it under the rug. We're not gonna pretend it's not happening. We need to talk about it. We need to get on the same page. But before we do, I just wanna take a moment to frame our conversation. You're a Christian, I'm a Christian, or maybe you're meeting with somebody who isn't a Christian. Um, hey, here's, here's how I view the world. Here's my worldview. Here's, and, and so I just want to share that with you, and here's how I'd love to frame our conversation. First, I just want us to agree on what we can agree on. Um, I, I just want to take a moment to, to read this, but, but before we even talk, um, here's, here's how I want to operate. Uh, Romans 12, 17 do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, as, as far as it depends on me, and, and as far as it depends on you, if it's possible, live at peace with everyone. And so I know we got this contentious thing that we need to talk about, and we got some issues or whatever, but as far as it depends on me, I want to live at peace with you. And so that's what we want to get to the bottom of. And then, and then John 17, 20, again, if the person you're talking to is a Christian, this is Jesus praying, and he prays for each and every one of us, John 17, 20. My prayer is not for them alone, talking about his disciples who followed him then and there. He said, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. We believe in Jesus through the message of his disciples, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you love me before the creation of the world. So hey, before we even talk, I want us to be one, I want us to be united, I want us to end up on the same page so that when people look at our relationship, they see Jesus, that's what Jesus prayed for us. And so I just wanna honor Jesus' prayer in our conversation. And so let's figure out how we can be one and be united. And, and, and actually, before we talk, can I just pray for us? Like, I just wanna pray about what we're gonna talk about. And, and, and when you pray, Pray the prayer of the tax collector, found in Luke 18, 13. Jesus said, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Hey, before we talk, can, can I just pray with you? God, I want to thank you so much for the grace you've given me. I am such a screw up. 
I don't get it right all the time. I, I lose my temper at my kids sometimes. I use a wrong tone of voice with my wife at times. I take things for granted. God, there's times that I feel like a failure. I don't feel like I'm good enough. And so God, thank you for your grace and your mercy that you give me. Thank you that even though I don't have it all together, you still love me. Thank you that you've called me by name, you've called us by name, and you have a plan and a purpose for our life. And God, we don't deserve it. God, remind us that we're in a same here situation. We're both in the same boat. Neither one of us has it all together. And so God, as we're about to talk through this thing, I pray that you would just season our conversation with grace and love and humility because we ultimately want to get on the same page. We want to be one. In Jesus' name, amen. You just pray before you talk about that thing to set the right mindset. And then before the talking begins, before the conversation, before you lay into me or I lay into you and you tell me what you don't like about me and I tell you what I don't like about you and here's all the problems we have. Before we do that, now that we've prayed and gotten on the same page, you're a Christian, I'm a Christian, we both believe in the broken body of Jesus and the blood poured out for us. And so before we talk about our differences and what's wrong and what we don't like, um, I'd love for us to just celebrate communion together. Because Paul wrote this to the Corinthian church. He said, for I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so, hey, before we even, before we even talk about the brokenness in our lives and in our relationship, um, can we just remember the broken body of Jesus and how he was stretched out on the cross so that we could be forgiven? Yeah. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so Jesus poured out his blood for us on the cross, and you and I, we have that in common. We agree with that. that let's start with what we agree on. I so said, can we just remember the sacrifice Jesus made for us by pouring out his blood? Okay. Now. What problem do you have with me again? <laughs> See, when you set the stage like that, let's take a moment to be washed in God's word. Let's take a moment to go to our heavenly father and remember just how jacked up both of us are. Let's take a moment to agree on the broken body and blood poured out for us. Let's take a moment to remember eternity and what really matters. Once we do that and we look at whatever problems, whatever issues, whatever preferences, whatever way we were offended, when we look at that, it all seems small in light of what really matters most. We still need to talk about it. 
We still need to get on the same page. But hopefully then we can come to a place where you can forgive me and I can forgive you. Because there's going to be a day where we sit at the great banquet table of heaven and I'm going to need some gravy. And I got to ask you, can you please pass the gravy? And I don't want it to be awkward. There's going to be a time at the great banquet table of heaven where we're going to sit and reflect on the goodness of God. And as we do that and we kick back with some biscuits, I'm going to need some apple butter. Come on, Cracker Barrel. And some Chick-fil-A chicken. You know Chick-fil-A is going to be on the menu. There's going to be a time because the tables are packed so tightly, I might bump your elbow, and I want it to be all good, and I don't want you to fly off the handle at me there in heaven. That'd be a bit weird. So can we just talk about it now? Can we just realize we're on the same team, headed toward the same place? And the goal of my life, the goal of your life, is to point people to Jesus. So let's not get distracted. And I don't want to diminish or downplay the issues you have with people in your life. But life is too short and too meaningful to get caught up in all that. Because I don't know about you, but I'm living for eternity. And I want you to live for that destination right along with me. If we can do that together, we'll be unstoppable. The world will look at us and say, there's something about those Christians and the way that they love each other, the way that they love their enemies, the way that they love their neighbors. There's something about them, and I want to be a part of it. See, when we begin to live united, when we live with eternity in mind, people will look and they say, I want to be a part of the same faith you're a part of. I want to know the same God you know, because if he can bring unity like that, I want it. I want it. So how do you not be a jerk face? Live with eternity in mind. Live for eternity. Thanks so much for listening. We pray God inspires, challenges, and motivates you to become greater through what you've just heard. Again, be sure to check us out at wearetherising.com. Remember, your best days are still ahead.